Hello, hello. Hello. And welcome to the New York Mystery Machine. Tammy Hall, but for ghosts. Very peaceful. Peaceful. We're trying to, we're we're saving our energy. It's cold. It's hot. It's definitely not cold. It's hot. (laughs) So it's important to just like conserve our energy. Yes. We have our single fan in the studio. It's just. It becomes really important. Yeah. That we just kind of relax. Right. Don't make any sudden movements. Don't make sudden movements. We don't have to. We're in season three, you guys. Season three. How exciting. It's just weird to do this It's one so play. weird. <laughs> uh, we're on season three. We're full full steam ahead. Season three. And we're so excited. We, we we kicked season three off last week. And we're so excited to be hitting it hard again here now. Um, you guys, this is the thing that happened, though, before we start recording this episode. The microphone stand broke. Ah, yes. Um, I witnessed it. So when I say we need new equipment, I'm never saying it because I, I want to take your money and just like throw it in the air. Like I just don't care. <laughs> I'm saying it because our stuff is falling apart. Falling apart. <laughs> and um, so if you want to help us, we'd be eternally grateful. And, and there's an easy way of helping us. You head over to patreon.com slash machine for as little as $3 a month. You can join the community for as little as 5 you get a bonus episode, and there's a bonus episode up currently from our from our July patron exclusive, and uh, we would love to to um, to offer more of those, and so we will uh, as the season progresses. And if you join right now oh, for good, July, good call, Christina. If you call, if you call, call. if you join, <laughs> call us today. <laughs> I'm so hot and tired. <laughs> if you join us now, if you join at the three dollar level. I'm giving you that uh, that bonus that bonus episode, and hopefully it'll inspire you to listen to all of our other bonus episodes by joining the five dollar level. See what I did there? Did See what I did there? Um, Don't forget, if you're at the fifty dollar level, you get a sandwich. You do get a sandwich, and we may have a second person who's interested in the fifty dollar. So yeah, so that is still happening. We our our, our current patron. Who at the sandwich level is Christian, Christian Lee Branch, legendary. And if you want to join Christian at the sandwich level, which means I and Christina curate a sandwich for you each month and uh, get it delivered to you, that's how you do it. 50 bucks a month. We used to be $100 a month. And we said, you know what? Screw it. $50, $50 is a month. more than enough. Yeah. So um, we'd love to do that for you if you're interested. Um, if not, well, that's okay too. Uh, but we do need some new equipment. And um, I have my eyes set on some new microphone stuff and... Um, you know, we don't have a lot of bills to pay every month, but we do have some bills. Got some bills. There's some bills that we that we pay to, to, to keep the pod going. So the money that you give us right now, all that money is going into those bills. There you go. So once we get more money than the bills that we have, we, we can would replace love, some shit. We can replace some shit. We that, did replace our, our sound box. Well, which, that was out of literal necessity. Yeah. Because. The one died. It broke. The show had been over. Yeah. And so, um. My my microphone is crooked. It's on a slant. It's so it's it's just I kind of see that, yeah. It's so weird to be speaking into it. Anywho, <laughs> here we are. Season three. <laughs> season three. You think things get better in season three, but everything starts to fall mm, apart in mm-mm. season three. Us, our equipment <laughs> just falls apart. Anyway, let's get into it today. What are we doing, Adam? You know, today, Christina, I felt it's as good as any day. To do the first haunting of season three. Ooh. Ooh, I know. We're here. We're haunting. We're doing it. I'm ready. I'm ready to be haunted. Well, no, you're not. No, you're, I definitely you're am not. Never... I'm absolutely not. She doesn't mean that. No, nobody listen to that. <laughs> she don't. She doesn't mean it, spirits. Do not haunt me. 
Where's the holy water? Season three, holy water. Season three, holy water is there. It's next to the season Prepared. three hand sanitizer. Don't confuse them. <laughs> you know, I did that in church a couple times during the since the pandemic. We're like, I've gone in and there are two dispensers. One is for hand sanitizer and one is for like holy water. So you don't put your hand in the, the little container. Oh. And um, I've absolutely blessed myself with hand sanitizer. Well, that's what I only bless myself with. I want to be clean. Bless me, oh science. And I, I've, I've tried to sanitize my hands with holy water by... Bless me, scientists, who make these, <laughs> make this thing that takes all the bacteria off of mm. me. Uh, but we are doing and haunting. I'm so glad that you brought up church, Oh, Christina, because today we're actually doing our first haunted church. Ooh. I know. I realized I went back in time and looked at all of our hauntings from season one to season two and realized that we have not done a haunted church. You guys didn't consider the churches get haunted. Let me tell you, I worked in the church. More on that later. But did you see ghosts and things in church? I don't know, but there's just there's just something about an empty church mm. at night mm. that's scary. It's empty. It's in the dark. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. More on that later. We're going to talk about being someone who works at church in the dark later on this episode. I'm, I'm excited. Today we're talking about Saint Mark's Church in the Bowery. Ah. St. Mark's Church in the Bowery is located at 131 East 10th Street, the second oldest church in the city. St. Paul's is the first. It also happens to be the fourth oldest building in Manhattan. Mm. I know, crazy. That's cool. Do you know why it's so old? Why is it so old? Because we're going back down to the Dutch times. Ooh! I don't know if we've done stories from pre-colonial rule. I believe... We may have done one. I believe there was a pirate. Yeah. Maybe it was Captain Kidd. In 1651, Peter Stuyvesant, mm. who was the f- at the time the director of the General New Netherland, uh, purchased the land for a bowery or farm from the Dutch West India Company. Is that what bowery means? Farm? Could be. Mm. For a bowery or farm. Maybe it's a ther- second thing. Mm. Okay. It could be either. It could be a bowery. It could be a farm. Someone knows Dutch. Let us know. Is Bowery a Dutch word? I think so, yeah. Why are we not just looking this up? We have the internet. All right. What's Google. A, what's a Bowery? Bowery. Bowery, uh, per Wikipedia, is the anglicized version of the Dutch Bowery, which is B-O-U-W-E-R-I-E, which is derived from an antiquated Dutch word for farm. They. I'm so glad we know that now. Look at that. I've referred to the Bowery so much in my life and mm-hmm. never knew that it was you're farm. You're just saying farm. It's just farm. It's going down to the farm. Well, Stuyvesant began to build on the property, um, which was, you know, then located in New Amsterdam, mm-hmm. which was now, now it's New York, but when the Dutch owned it, it was New Amsterdam. He built the property, and by 1660, he had built a family chapel located at the present day site of St. Mark's Church. Oh. It was surrounded by 300 acres of farmland that was said to be the best in all of Manhattan. Now, wow. all of Manhattan is basically at this time just like lower Manhattan. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Because, I mean, we haven't developed most of the right. island of Manhattan yet, right? right. When the British will, will come over, they will start going deeper and deeper onto Manhattan Island. But right now, Manhattan, as the Dutch know it, is Really just the tip. It's really just, you know, we're in the village, but a little, not yeah. too much further. Yeah. There's no Midtown Manhattan at this time. Right, no. But that's interesting because I do, 
I feel like I, somewhere in the back of my lizard brain, um, there is something about the Lenape using the area of Manhattan as like hunting grounds and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. So the fact that it's good farmland makes sense. Yeah. Now, Peter Stuyvesant is regarded in history as a quote unquote stern leader. Hmm. We would say a dick. <laughs> And quite xenophobic. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, if you were coming to the new Dutch colony of New Amsterdam in search of religious freedom, it would have been better for you not to come at all. Oh, good. Stuyvesant did not tolerate full religious freedom in the colony and was strongly committed to supremacy of the Dutch Reformed Church. In 1657, he refused to allow Lutherans to write the right to organize a church when he also issued an ordinance forbidding them from worshiping in their own homes. The directors of the Dutch West Indies Company, three of whom were Lutherans, told him to rescind the order and allow private gatherings of Lutherans. That's interesting because I feel like the Dutch at a certain point, and I don't know when this point is, so, you know, but they they do become extremely tolerant, right? Like that's sort of their shtick, you know, live and let live. And... Again, we're, we're just talking about one Yeah, one, but I, one even like, bag. yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, that's just kind of what it is, right? Because, yeah, yeah I mean, and, and, and like they were, they never had like a real full blown witch hunt situation yeah, yeah, like yeah. the rest of Europe because they're like, guys, calm the fuck down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is just Stuyvesant. This is just Stuyvesant. And it gets worse. Furthermore, he leaned even deeper into his intolerance when Stuyvesant refused to allow the permanent settlement of Jewish refugees from Dutch Brazil and New Amsterdam and join the handful of existing Jewish traders who were already in New Amsterdam. So he, there was, okay. they had, so the, the, the um, refugees didn't have passports, but the ones who were there did, and they were just trying to unite them. And he was like, no, there's no, no passports. They can't come over. Stuyvesant Gosh. attempted to have Jews, quote unquote, in a friendly way to depart the colony. <laughs> As he wrote to the to the Amsterdam Chamber of Dutch West India Company in 1654, he hoped that the, quote, deceitful race, such as hateful enemies and blasphemers of the name of Christ, be not allowed to further infect and trouble this new colony. He referred to Jews as a repu as, he referred to Jews as a repugnant race and users. He was concerned that Jewish settlers should not be granted the same liberties enjoyed by Jews in Holland, lest members of the persecuted minority groups, such as Roman Catholics, be attracted to the colony. Wow. What an awful person. Yeah, he's a real prick. Real prick. Stuyvesant's decision was again rescinded after pressure from the directors of the company. As a result, Jewish immigrants were allowed to stay in the colony as long as their community was self-supporting. However, Stuyvesant and the company would not allow them to build a synagogue, forcing them to worship instead in a private house. In 1657, the Quakers, who were newly arrived in the colony, drew his attention. He ordered the public torture of Robert Hodgson, a 23-year-old Quaker convert who had become an influential preacher. Stuyvesant then made an ordinance punishable by fine and imprisonment against anyone found guilty of harboring Quakers. Wow, we do not talk about this when we're covering New York City history in our no, public Stuyvesant schools. No, Stuyvesant is, he's, he's bad. He's bad news bears. I, I, feel like, I feel like he also like committed massacres against the Lenape, I mean, as all the colonists did, there's, but like... There is no doubt. Yeah. Wow. Years prior to all of this, in April 1644, he led an attack on the island of St. Martin, which the Spanish had taken from the Dutch. Stuyvesant thought that the Spanish had only a few men. So when Peter raised a Dutch flag, the Spanish fired at him. <laughs> a cannonball hit him. They lost the battle, and Peter Stuyvesant lost his leg. Oh. He had, because of the damage from the cannonball, 
He had to have it amputated. And eventually is replaced with a wooden peg. Ah. Stuyvesant was given nicknames Peg Leg Pete and Old Silver Nails because he used a wooden stick studded with silver nails as a prosthesis. Studded with wooden nails. Okay. All right. I love... (laughs) It's got nothing. I just just love the idea of him being like, yeah, there can't be too many people here. Let's put up up the flag. Put up the flag. I'm like, oh, shit. He's like... and, And... and now he's like walking around the colony like <laughs> that's his peg leg. Right. Uh-huh. Get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> Basically, if you're not anyone who does my thing, I don't like don't you. Don't like you. Gosh. The jerk. Really is. It's like it's wow, like I mean you're very anti Semitic. Yeah. Like I think the Jews have the worst in terms of your hate. But then the Quakers are pretty, pretty, you hate them too. Yeah. God. Whew. America, am I right, guys? <laughs> in 1640, in 1664, Charles II of England ceded to his brother, the Duke of York, later King James II, a large tract of land that included all of New Netherland. This came at a period of considerable conflict between England and the Netherlands in the Anglo-Dutch Wars. Four English ships bearing 450 men, commanded by Richard Nichols, seized the Dutch colony. On August 30th, 1664, George Cartwright sent the governor a letter demanding surrender. He promised life, estate, and liberty to all who would submit to the king's authority. Nichols was then declared the new governor, and the city was named New York. Stuyvesant obtained civil rights and freedom of religion in the Articles of Capitulation. Many felt he didn't put up much of a fight. Hmm. Here's the thing that pisses me off. Yeah. That this fuckface (laughs) was given freedom of religion. This fucker who denounced everyone's religion was given freedom of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, But in mm -hmm. the end, the people were all like, you're a weak leader, dude. Like, you're stern, and yet you, like, let the British step all over you. He couldn't beat the British. The British were going to... It was either peaceful or not peaceful. Right. That was what it was. Stuyvesant would die in 1672 and was buried in the vault under the chapel. Why go through all the history of Peter Stuyvesant, you ask? Is he one of our ghosts? Well, he may be important to this entire story. Yeah, he's one of our ghosts. Yes. Um, many years later, Stuyvesant's great-grandson, Petrus, sold the chapel property to the Episcopal Church for $1. Oh. The sale stipulated that a new chapel had to be erected to serve Bowery Village. This was a community which had grown around Stuyvesant uh, Family Chapel. In 1795, the cornerstone of the present-day St. Mark's Church was laid, which is still there today. The church was built using the fieldstone Georgian style, architecture, everybody, (laughs) by architect and mason John McComb, Jr. The church was finished and consecrated on May 9th, 1799. Alexander Hamilton gave legal aid when incorporating St. Mark's Church as the first Episcopal parish independent of Trinity Church in the United States. Everywhere we turn, Alexander Hamilton. Yes, we do. Or Aaron Burr. Not yet, though. Aaron Burr. Non-season three yet. The church steeple was designed in 1828. The design of it is attributed to Martin Euclid uh, Thompson and Eiffel Town. 
It's constructed in the Greek Revival style. More changes to the church happened at uh, the beginning of 1835 when John C. Tucker's Stone Parish Hall was constructed. Again, everything that's still there. Mm. In the following year, the church was renovated when the original square pillars were replaced by thinner ones, allowing following in the Egyptian Revival style. Again, for more on this, please go to the New York Architecture Podcast, <laughs> hosted by Adam Hayes and Christina Marinelli. In addition, the current cast and wrought iron fence was added to the property in 1838. All these renovations are directly credited to Thompson. During the same time period, the two-story Fieldstone Sunday School was completed. Later in 1861, the church commissioned a brick addition to the parish hall. Now, during the first half of the 19th century, there were two burial sites affiliated with the church. The first was the yards around the church, which was for vault interments. Which, okay. which like, is like Stuyvesant, and yeah, that's where Stuyvesant is. Yeah, uh, is he it, still? I believe he is still oh. buried in the vault. By, I don't know. On, yeah, yeah, yeah. The first vaults were built in 1807, and many of New York's wealthy were buried there. In 1876, a millionaire named Alexander Turney Stewart was buried in the East Yard. Stewart had the most lucrative dry goods store of the time. After he passed, however, there was controversy that came about as someone stole his remains and held them for ransom. Oh! Stealing a body. Stealing a body? Wow, okay. And held for ransom. The case was never resolved as far as the public is concerned, but some people say that his widow negotiated to get the remains back in 1881. The ransom was supposedly $200,000, and she negotiated it down to $20,000. Again, this is 1800s money. Right. His body was supposedly hidden at his department store until an Episcopal church was built on Long Island in 1884 and his remains removed there. His body was hidden in like the dry goods store that in, he in the in the wow in the dry goods store that he owned. Wow. Come on, come on. Here. Don't open that barrel. Don't open that barrel. We have coats here. We have hats here. Don't forget our our, 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 our women's dresses here. Don't, don't go that room. Uh, <laughs> no, no, you're too far, sir. Uh, belts are here. No, not there. Uh, <laughs> Incredible. This I, is my new favorite. I, I want it to be true so bad. Yeah. Uh, there's also a nearby cemetery on East 11th Street for regular graves. Peter Stuyvesant IV had donated as bare ground in 1803 on the condition that any of the current or former enslaved people who he owned or their children would be buried there for free. Oh, generous. It's like the weirdest thing ever. It's like, dude, you're the worst. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. here's the thing. I want to do right by my slaves. Instead of setting them free, I want them to be able to be buried here for free. That seems fair. Oh, God. It is unclear how many people were buried there, but the burial grounds was closed in 1851, and then the remains were moved to Evergreen Cemetery in Brooklyn in 1864, and residential buildings were built on the site. And do you want to know something, Christina? Mm. I I am very sure that everyone's remain, were, remains were, were easily moved. All, all of them. Because I know in every story, especially in New York, anytime we remove remains, mm-hmm. we, we get a, all of them. We do the best job at actually getting rid of them all. Yep, 100%. 100%. All the time. Now, supposedly, ever since the 1700s, when the chapel began renovations to become the church, many people have seen the spirit of old racist Peter Stuyvesant. <laughs> also, it's always a renovation. Always do a renovation. Do not renovate, always ever. Renovation. Just let it fall apart around you. How do they know it's Peter Stuyvesant? Well, Christina. <gasps> do they hear the... 
Yes. <laughs> the ghost always seems to be missing a leg. And anytime they hear a sound, it's that of, of a of a little peggy peggy leg. <laughs> He's supposedly unhappy with how the city has grown and how his old farmland is overrun with so much noise and activity. It's said that he was once so disturbed by the sounds of the city that he awoke from his slumber to ring the bells of the church angrily. He also supposedly interrupts services by stomping around and singing Dutch hymns and doesn't appreciate being buried beneath an Episcopal, Episcopalian church. I was going to say, he must be absolutely furious about pissed. about the, the, the ethnic religious makeup of, of New York City. Especially where he is in Bowery. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over the years, more specific stories have been told, such as a famous one of a sexton late at night at the church. He was said to have been sent to church to grab something for the rector when he saw the ghost, Peter Stuyvesant. One version of the story is recounted in the 1966 children's book, The Ghost of Peg Leg Peter, by by M.J. Jagendorf, with illustrations by Lino S. Lipinski. I need a copy. I don't understand why they're putting, like, stories of hauntings in children's books but. i mean is this like, like is this like uh like the cardboard books you give toddlers or is this like the goosebumps of its, of its day oh i don't know did this illustrations which i have in oh, front of me man but first before you see the illustrations which i'll share with you all on the social meds how about i read an excerpt please please please, please. his body had been put into a closed vault but that did not stop the ghost of the governor from stomping around on black or moonlit nights in his old haunts. His farm and the city hall where he once reigned. Folks heard his stomping peg leg with the silver band and saw him and ran away in fear. That pleased him, particularly if they were English. He wanted no one around his grave. Least of all, the enemy who had robbed him and the Dutch government. This propaganda is great. The moon was only half full, but bright enough to show church, trees, and ghosts. When the ghost saw the sexton, he raised his stick threateningly. The sexton raised his eyes, took one look, and ran off. Incredible. The governor ghost looked after the fleeing fellow with contempt and then stomped the ch- locked church door and then stomped to the locked church door. He walked through it into the church and stomped up to the hanging bell rope, taking it in his hands. He began pulling it savagely. Oh, my God. Now, here's the thing, you guys. Ringing a church bell 200 years ago meant there was an emergency. Right. A fire, um, perhaps uh, an announcement, something something big is happening. Right. Well, according to legend, when neighbors ran to the church to inspect the sound mm-hmm. from this said story, they found no one inside. The bell rope had been torn off and its lower section was completely gone. Oh. The 1966 account ends with this. Sometimes the ghost of the governor still comes out again and looks around sadly, but he never rings the bell anymore, for he knows it will be of little use. Incredible. Didn't I text you not too long ago about how I want our next merchandising adventure to be like really weird, creepy, like monster stories in or like for 
children. Could be. I just love that that it's been manifested. Yeah, why don't way. we do this? This is what we should do. Yeah. This should be like the thing we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We should like write children's books. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Children's ghost books. Yeah, children's go- children's ghost books. Like the kind that like the parents are going to read and be like, oh, this is this is fun for me too. Here are some pictures. Oh, incredible! I love this. Raising a stick in the air. This is amazing. Where do I find a copy? I need to find a copy. I know. I gotta find a copy of it too. Now, that same story was also propagated by the New York Times. Oh, incredible. In in the October 31st, 1985 article titled, Is New York Too Scary Even for Its Ghosts? Maureen Dodd writes, quote, Peter Stuyvesant, the last Dutch governor of New Amsterdam, was disturbed from his slumber in the cemetery at St. Mark's in the Bowery soon after his death in 1672 by the bustle of the growing city. He took his revenge in kind, according to local lore. The townsfolk were awakened one night by the St. Mark's church bell clanging loudly. When they arrived, they found a cowering sexton who had been waved away by the late governor and a bell ringing widely. Its rope cut off in midair where no one could reach it. Incredible. I love everything about this. The account has also been investigated in other books as well. According to the book Ghosts of Manhattan, Legendary Spirits and Notorious Haunts by Philip Ernest Schoenberg, on Good Friday, April 14th, 1865, the church bell began ringing. The rector hurried out to take a look and saw a ghost with a peg leg in period Dutch clothes running away. What made it strange was that the bell was rung without the rope. The bell rope had been cut a few days before. Then, the next night, the bell rope was seen on the Stuyvesant family vaults. Ooh, he brought it back with him. Brought it back with him. Here's the thing, you guys. I was a church sexton for a time in my life. Mm-hmm. And many times... Is a sexton the same as a sacristan in yes. Catholic terms? Thank you. Same thing. And I was in those churches late at night with all like the statues like staring at you under like the candlelight. Mm. It's scary. And I don't know, there could have been a ghost... My eyes could have played tricks on me, or ghosts could have played tricks on me. It's scary. I don't like it. I'm trying to think of I've, I've I've been in churches, maybe not late at night, but in you the definitely dark. have been in Mount Carmel late at night with me during MCTC days. True. That was my theater company, you guys. I don't think I ever <laughs> felt frightened of the statues. They're just creepy. They just like now more like I just don't like the fact you're judging me. I mean, like <laughs> I'm... you all made decisions. <laughs> I make decisions, you make decisions, we all make choices. Let it be. Now, is Peter the only spirit haunting this church? I guess no. Well, that may not be the case. And an an old friend is going to want in on this spooky situation. Oh, man. An old friend, you ask. What old friend? An old friend. What old friend? An old friend. Tell me about the old friend. An old friend. You'll find out who the old friend is after the break. The New York Mystery Machine is brought to you in part by listeners like you. That's right. Head on over to our Patreon, and for as little as $3 a month, you can help keep the pod growing. By joining, you can access a whole bunch of cool stuff, such as mini-episodes, swag, exclusive playlists, and more. Head to www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine to find out more and become a patron. 
That's www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine and join our ever-growing community today. We are back. And before, I I left you with but a cliffhanger. Yeah. Because it's important that we keep our friends close to the show. Right. And my friends, we do mean like dubious people who like sometimes lie about ghosts and make a career off them and like, you know, feature heavily in most like propaganda of ghosts. <gasps> that friend? You know who he is. It's Hans Holzer. You hate him, but you love him. You love that you hate him. You hate that you love him. It's Hans Holzer, everybody. Oh man. Back to the show. Two two early episodes two early season opening episodes in yeah. a row. Hans Holter. In fact, literally, episode two of season one, uh, season two, Look at featured that. Hans Holzer. Look at that! And here he is back. Can't get away from him. Hans Holzer talks about the church in his book "Ghosts: True Encounters with the World Beyond." Now, listeners, you may be familiar with that title because I referred to it last season in the June Havoc Hungry Lucy episode, which oh. is episode sixty-four. The ghost. I was really hungry. I feel it. I understand it. You need to be at our $50 level and eat a sandwich. Here's like, I've never like sympathized with a ghost more than Hungry Lucy. I was like, yes, me same, too. Same Lucy. Give me a sandwich. Now, Hans doesn't really give us a year on when he investigated the church because, you know, details or whatever. Sure. Um, but the book was published in 1997. So let's assume sometime before 1997. Sounds great. Hans writes, quote, I talked to Reverend Richard E. McAvoy Archdeacon of St. John's, but for many years rector of St. Mark's, about the about any apparitions he or others may have seen in the church. Legend, of course, has old Peter Stuyvesant rambling about now and then. The Reverend proved to be a keen observer and quite neutral in the matter of ghosts. He himself had not seen anything unusual, but there was a man, a churchgoer, whom he known for many years. This man always sat in a certain pew on the right side of the church. Queried by the rector and about his peculiar instance on that seat, the man freely admitted it was because from there he could see her. Mm. The her being a female wraith who appeared in the church to listen to the sermon, then disappeared again. Well... At the spot he had chosen, he could always be next to her. Here's the thing. <laughs> You're choosing mm-hmm. to sit next to a ghost. Mm-hmm. You're like, you know what I want to do? I'm lonely. I'm in church. I might as well like hang out with this ghost. With this ghost girl. That is some some choices have been made. Choices have been made. They're not good. They're not right. No. They're just made though. But they're they've been yep. He <laughs> I pressed the rector about any personal experiences. Finally, he thought that he had seen something like a figure in white out of the corner of his one eye, a figure that passed and quickly disappeared. And that lady was, in white. That eh? was 10 years ago. Yeah, lady in white. Now, while we have focused mostly on this episode, assuming that there has only been one ghost, Peter Stuyvesant, right. this account already brings into the mix a woman. I bet she was wearing white. (laughs) (laughs) 
Anywho, he continues. This is Hans Holzer once again. On the rector's recommendation, I talked to Foreman Cole, the man who comes to wind the clock at regular intervals and who has been seen in and around St. Mark's for the past 26 years. Mr. Cole proved to be a ready talker. Some years ago, Cole asked his friend, Ray Bohr, organist at a Roman Catholic church nearby, to have a look at the church organ. The church was quite empty at the time, which was 1 a.m. Yeah, that Stop. makes sense. Stop. You asked your friend to come to a church to look at the organ at 1 a.m.? It does sound like a setup for a murder, honestly. Like, I wouldn't do that. Like, like what do you... No. Hey, man, can you, uh, <laughs> can you come to this church? What time? Yeah, sure. I'm just going to... Not a knife. Not a knife, man. This is not a knife or anything. <laughs> Like, who asked someone to come to a church? So weird. At 1 a.m. Nevertheless, Cole said he saw someone Someone. in the balcony. About 15 years ago, Cole had another unusual experience, Han says. It was winter, and the church was closed to the public, for it was after 5 p.m. And everyone knows... 5 p.m., the public can't get in. But if you're an organist at a Catholic church, come on in. Come on in. Need to look at that organ. That evening, it got dark early because it's the winter. Um, But there was still some light when light left, when Cole let himself into the building. Nobody was supposed to be in the church at that time, as Cole well knew, being familiar with the rector's hours. Nevertheless, to his amazement, he clearly saw a woman standing in the back of the church near the entrance door in the center aisle. Thinking that she was a late churchgoer who had been locked in by mistake and worried that she might stumble in the semi-darkness, he called the haunted knave out to her. Wait, lady! Don't move till I turn the lights on! He took his eyes off her for a moment and quickly switched the lights on, but he found himself alone. She had vanished into thin air from her spot well within the nave of the church. Oh, man. Unnerved, Cole ran to the entrance door and found it firmly locked. Mm. He then examined all the windows and found them equally well secured. Oh, no. He's... <laughs> Cole's coming from the inside. <laughs> Cole's coming from the inside. I asked Cole if there was anything particular. I asked Cole if there was anything peculiar about the woman's appearance. He thought for a moment. Then he said... Yes, there was. She seemed to ignore me, looked right through me, and did not respond to my words. Part of me wants to be like, she ignored me and like, look at me. <laughs> yeah. Would you ignore me? Would you ignore me? <laughs> oh, I'm a dreamboat over here. <laughs> she seemed to ignore me, looked right through me, and did not respond to my words. Six weeks later, Hans writes, he had another supernormal experience. This is Cole. Again, alone super in the- Supernormal experience? That's what he wrote. He okay. wrote supernormal. Totally Hans, normal. Hans is making up words. <laughs> this is supernormal, you guys. Do you mean supernatural? No, no, it's supernormal. Supernormal. So like really chill? So like just your no, average no. day? No, no, it's weird. So not supernormal. <laughs> no, supernormal. Okay. Like supernatural? No, no, no. That's- No, it's supernormal. It's my word. Now that you've said this so many times, I am realizing supernatural. Also it's supernatural, you guys. Also feels like it should be like that's just really chill. 
It's it's so natural. It's super natural. It's like it's like it's like you invite a group of friends to like a creepy old place. Mm-hmm. He goes, "You guys, you gotta come. It's supernatural." And they'll get there. And nothing's happening. He goes, "There's nothing's happening." I know. I told you guys, it's supernatural. It's like when you're an organist at a Catholic church and you get invited over to the, another person's church at one a.m. You're like, "No, no, no it's supernatural." It's supernatural. I just want you to experience how totes natural this is. <laughs> It's totes normal, totes natural, nothing scary at all. It's supernatural. How you feeling? I'm supernatural, dudes. <laughs> Sounds like Larry the the, the hipster ghost. <laughs> the next next t-shirt. Just supernatural, dudes. Just supernatural. Supernatural. <sighs> Hans writing six weeks later, he had another supernormal experience. Again, alone in the church with all the doors locked, he saw a man who looked to him like one of the Bowery derelicts outside. He wore shabby clothes and did not seem to belong here. Quickly, Cole switched on the lights to examine the visitor, but he had vanished exactly as the woman had before. Oh, man. <laughs> I love... Super, super normal, guys. Super, super normal. There's a super normal guy in the room. Okay. Cole would tell Holzer that he had not seen any apparition apparition since, but some pretty strange noises were very consistent following that night. He reported frequent banging about the church and uncanny feelings and chills in certain areas. On one occasion, Cole clearly heard someone coming up the stairs leading to the choir loft. Thinking it was a sexton, he decided to give him a scare and hid to await the man at the end of the staircase in order to give like a booga booga booga. But no one came up. So he was just standing there, sitting there crouched ready, and no one came up the stairs. But he kept hearing the like the steps up the stairs, but no one ever like came to the stairs. Uh-huh, it was like uh-huh, a never-ending uh-huh. stair. Right. He heard someone coming up, and when he finally peeked to see who it was, who still hadn't made it up the stairs, right. no one was there. Oh, man. So he just heard steps, 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 so long, so long, and then no one was there. I hate that, honestly. I think it's very super, super normal. Super normal. At the time of publishing, Cole had no idea who the ghost could be. He was still taking care of the clock and was reluctant to discuss his experiences with ordinary people, lest they think him mad. At the time, he was a 41-year-old man, quite healthy and realistic, and although he knows it sounds crazy, Cole was sure of his memories. Do you know what I find bizarre? Mm. That you're a 41-year-old clock guy. I was just going to... Who decides to like hang out in an old church late at night fixing the clock... For that long? I was going to say, the one unexamined piece of this episode so far is the fact, I have so many questions about this clock winding business, um, including that this is in 19, what, 97? He's still winding clocks. Can you make a full-time living winding the occasional clock? How many clocks really need winding at this point? I don't know. I don't know, but I want that job. I mean, it doesn't exist now. I don't think, I don't think that job exists really now. Existed, what, 1997? 2023, Christina. Yeah, but they had, they didn't need, I'm going to guarantee you, they did not need you to wind, like, they had other kinds of clocks in 1997. I'm really hung up on this, Adam. I'm really hung up because. Super normal. Super normal. (laughs) It's super normal, dudes. I feel like, I feel like this is like, like, you ever watch Rick Steves on PBS? Well, you should. This is, this is the problem here. You, You need to. It's great. Um, and sometimes he goes to a small European city and there's like the one guy who every five years tunes an organ in a church 
and or like the 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 wind chimes or something and like how is that how is that your job that seems like a logical job though there's still a lot of pipe organs in churches that's that's i mean there's still a lot of old clocks in old churches well there you have it christina just she did it you figured it out i i want the job and what is the pay several days later holster asked mary rm that's her name (laughs) two initials a singer and gifted psychic, as one is, sure. to accompany him to St. Mark's to see if she can get any impressions. It turned out she had been to the church once before, the November prior, when she was rehearsing nearby. At the time, she was sure the place was haunted. Holzer writes, We sat in one of the right-hand pews and waited. We were quite alone in the church. The time was three in the afternoon, and it was quite still. Within a minute or so, Mary told me she felt a, quote, man with a cane walking down the middle aisle behind us. Peter Stuyvesant, buried here, walked with a cane. Then my friend joined, then my friend pointed to the rear and advised me that she saw a woman in wide skirt standing near the rear door of the church. She added, I see a white shape floating away from that marble slab in the rear. So if you ever see someone dissolve into thin air at St. Mark's, don't be alarmed. It's only a ghost. <laughs> oh, Hans. Oh, Hans Holtze. Marble slab in the rear. I know. I love, love the phrasing. All over the place. I love the phrasing. There have been the scattering of random accounts and stories uh, ever since. According to Ghosts of Manhattan, on Christmas Day 1995, the congregation heard someone singing 100 Bottles of Rum. Incredible. And when they went to the room that held the refreshments, they saw someone in Dutch period costume and a peg leg walk into the wall. The punch bowl had been drunk down an inch. (laughs) And the author of that book said he spoke to a woman in 2003 who attended late night services and she heard what sounded like a peg leg behind her. Incredible. Peter's just walking around drinking people's punch. Over the years, any church attendees... Uh, visitors and staff. If, over the years, many church attendees, visitors, and staff have reported seeing a strange presence. Most often, distinctive footsteps can be heard, <laughs> which include the unmistakable sound of a peg leg echoing throughout the halls and pews of the church. People have reported seeing strange movements and shadows within the church windows while walking by the street. In addition, the bells of St. Mark's have been known to ring at odd times, often accompanying the sighting of a ghost. In addition, apparently St. Mark's Church rents out some of the rooms in the rectory. According to Ghost of Manhattan, a writer reported that when she lived there, her dog got really scared and wouldn't go into one room unless she was there. She also said she saw people's shadows even when no one was there. hate that. Uh, also, people continue to claim to see the ghost of A.T. Stewart, the uh, mm-hmm. who whose body apparently may have been in a one of the back rooms, one of the back rooms of a shop. Uh, it is thought that he likes to come back to his original resting place mm. before his body was stolen. <laughs> the cemetery at St. Mark's Church is known for being uh, beautiful as a church. In fact, it is a New York City landmark and is listed on both the state and national registers. You will find it features a tranquil garden, a playground, and several marble underground. 
a playground okay. and several marble underground vaults. Most of the internments that happened at the cemetery took place between 1830 and 1875. One of the burial sites is referred to as the East and the West Yards and is attached to the church, while the mm-hmm. other site lies further east along 11th, as we spoke earlier about. Mm-hmm. Some claim to see spirits on both the East and the West, all along 11th as well, as they may as these spirits may wander about on any given night. Incredible. And that is the story of St. Mark's Church in the Bowery. There's so many gems in this. So many gems. The children's book. Hans Holzer. Hans Holzer's back. Can't get away from Hans Holzer. I can't get away from Hans Holzer. I don't know what accent I've devolved into, honestly. That was not German. And just the idea that supernatural and supernormal are not correct. Right? It's super normal, dudes. It's so supernatural. Hey, guys, act supernatural. (laughs) Just act really natural. Words words don't have meaning anymore. (laughs) Words have lost their meanings. uh Two episodes in and we've... (laughs) If you have any theories, if you've seen any ghosts, if you know the sound of... I'm going to keep doing that. Um, hit us up on our socials at NY Mystery Machine on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at NY Mysteries on the Twitter. You can drop us an email, nymysterymachine at gmail.com. Drop us your theories there. Um, if you're interested in supporting the show in an amazing, wonderful, deep way, buying us new equipment, you head on over to patreon.com slash nymysterymachine to join our community. T-shirts are available at belowthecollar.com slash nymysterymachine. And what else? Stickers? Drop us a message yes, on Instagram. Some we'll, we'll, we'll show you some stickers. There should be a new t-shirt out at this moment. And um, if not... I'll cut it out of the episode later. Great. Um, the new t-shirt is... Uh, um, um, it's a graveyard, and it's a little goblin-y, goblin-y spirit. And they say, it's worth noting. And then the dead people in the grave scream, it's, it's worth noting! We thought that was very clever. Mm-hmm. So I put that together. I'm very proud. Uh, <laughs> we buy it. Well, that's it. We're back. Guess what? Next week. Uh, what? Again. Another new episode because it's season three and we're just doing Spiling it. through. Doing it. Anywho, I've been Adam Mace. And thank you for taking a ride on the New York Mystery Machine. I'm going to have a for ghosts. Peter! <laughs> I'm being supernatural, guys!